Colossians, the second chapter, in the 23rd verse. Colossians 2, 23. 1, 23, I beg your pardon. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my suffering for you, and fill up that which is behind of afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. I'm reading verse 25 now. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. I really should have read verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. What does he say? We were sometime alienated. That means that we were aliens, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, spiritual Israel. Aliens are are not citizens. And to be alienated means to be separated. Alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. Now there is a great deal here. The, <clears throat> the gospel finds us alienated, finds us alienated and enemies in our minds. The Lord promises us then, if we continue on, that we'll be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now that takes away all condemnation, all blame, all reproof, and we stand covered with the righteousness of Christ, accepted uh, in, in Christ. If we continue in the faith, that's a big if there now. Grounded. What's this mean? Grounded. Rooted. Rooted. Grounded and settled. Now, when you're grounded and settled, you have no question marks floating around up above. You know, you know what you know, and you're settled about it. You've proved it. Grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. All right. <clears throat> Let us kneel now. We'll pray. Thank you, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this another opportunity to assemble together. We thank you for this Sabbath day and the events that have taken place. We ask your blessings upon us as we undertake another study. We ask you to please speak to our hearts, dear Father and help that we may derive uh, a life-saving lesson from this study, and that as we assimilate the truths from it, that we may make it our purpose to teach these truths to others. We ask your blessings upon he who is going to present to us this study. Impart to him to impart to us the 
life-saving truths that you would have us to have at this time. Be with each and every one that is kneeled in thy presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now you turn, please, to Micah, the sixth chapter. And we're going to read the, I think, probably the fourth verse, the fifth verse, Micah, verse 5. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. And now there isn't a teacher of righteousness, I suppose, that will turn to this text to give a study on the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness by faith. I never heard one, and I doubt that one would ever choose this text. Only the rod has done so. Now that again, evidencing the fact that the Lord has uh, opened up through the message prophetic truth uh, on all facets of the gospel, especially on the prophetic ones. Let's look at this more closely. Oh, my people, this is addressed not to outsiders, but to God's people. And the Lord uses an exclamation here. So he is burdened about his people in this connection. And I want you to remember the context in which you find this. Let's read the first verse. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. What's this word arise tell us? To awake. Yeah, to get up. Arise. If God means what he says, it means get up. This means they have not been doing anything. And the one addressed is Micah the prophet. Micah stands here in type for those who deliver this message down in the days when the message is to be delivered, whenever that is, whenever it comes to pass. So uh, Micah and his people are addressed this way. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Well, if Micah is speaking, he's speaking then to somebody who needs to arise. And it is implicit in logic that Micah himself has already arisen. That the message comes to Micah to be conveyed to his people. Arise, contend thou. But a Christian shouldn't contend. What about that? Contend. There shouldn't be any contention in the church. Now, if God tells Micah to contend, and Micah obeys God to contend, then uh, it's not Micah who is at fault. If there's any fault, it's God that is at fault. And God cannot be at fault, so then there has to be a third party who is at fault. Who would it be? You see, you have three parties involved here. First, you have God. Second, you have Micah and his people. And third, well, you have Micah, and then third, you have the people. But it cannot be God who is at fault. It can't be Micah who is at fault, for God bid Micah to do it. Who is at fault? Moses who cries the mountain. 
Yes, it's the mountain. It's the people that comprise the mountain. Arise, contend thou before the mountain. Well, I don't think we have to take time to establish what a mountain symbolizes in prophecy. Adventists are familiar with the fact that the mountain represents the church government. The hill is a smaller mountain, so then hills would represent the smaller church government, smaller churches. So Micah now has a, a directive from God, in fact it's a commandment, uh, to uh, get the people up, get them up on their feet and doing, and to contend before the churches. Now the question is, what churches? Well, he's addressing his people, so you would conclude then it must be his church. And this is the sisterhood of churches, taking in all the mountains and hills, and it may even extend beyond. It says, and let the hills hear thy voice. So Micah, Micah's voice is to be heard. Now Micah, as his voice sounds, is not to give expression to his own uh, concepts and ideas and theories and concerns, but he's speaking for God. So here is a message now of concern from God to his people, to the hills and the mountains. Hear ye, O mountains, Hear ye, O mountains. So the mountains need to hear. There's something wrong. And the mountains need to hear what God is to say through Micah and through Micah, Micah's people. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy. No, there shouldn't be controversy. This is what the church is complaining about now. There's controversy. And... It, it, since we're the ones that are involved with them in the controversy, and since they are in the majority, then we're the ones that are causing the controversy. That's the way they argue. This is the way that the majority always argues, that the ones who are in the minority are causing the controversy, and oftentimes this is the case. Well, we can't say that we're not in part causing the controversy, but... Evidently, we're not the ones that are responsible for the controversy. For God says he has a controversy with his people. And he's speaking through Micah and Micah's people. So although they're going to get themselves involved in this controversy inevitably in doing what God says to do, yet they're not the ones that, that constitute the basic causative factor in this con controversy. It's the, it's the condition that obtains in the mountains and the hills that God is trying to uh, point out to them, uh, to convince them of, and to help them to see and to remedy. And so uh, this controversy results now because of the hard-heartedness, the stiff-neckedness, the impudence, as Ezekiel says, of those who constitute the mountain. They won't hear God. Is that what Ezekiel says, what he tells Ezekiel? They won't hear me, he says, because they won't hear you because they won't hear me. So now you can see, as you look into this picture, oh, what the uh, atmosphere is, what the conditions are, and what you can expect to, to meet. You're not going to find a lot of loving arms thrown about you and, and so on. You're going to find that you're going to receive dagger, dagger looks and you're going to meet uh, scorpions and 
be among briars and thorns, and so on. I think what is one of the hardest tribulations to bear is uh, when, in fact, you have come with a um, a message of light. They make it look as a message of darkness. They make yeah. the angel of light look as an angel of darkness. Well, this is what the word says. They make they make uh, light darkness and darkness light. Those who are bearing truth, they make wrong, and those who are fighting it, they make right. O my people, well, I must reread this. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. Now it's to go even beyond the mountains and the hills. And Brother Hodaf uh, always taught that the hour was coming when this message would, would go outside the church and expose this whole thing to the world, to the strong foundations of the earth. I don't know when this is going to be, whether it's now, whether it's when the message goes to Assyria, or just just when. We don't know all about this yet. But for sure it's going to come. There it is right there before your face. For the Lord has a controversy with his people. Who does he have a controversy with? His people. Now there are other scriptures that say he has a controversy with the nations. Now which one do you think he'd have the controversy with first? His people or the nations? Now, which controversy would he settle first, with his people or with the nation? He got to settle the controversy with his people first. For if he doesn't settle the controversy with his people, how can he send that people to the nation to settle the controversy with the nation? See? Now, if you have a controversy in a family, see, and uh, this family is to, uh, is to be used as a peacemaker in the neighborhood, how can you send this family out to make peace in the neighborhood when there's no peace in the family? It can't be done. So God's got to resolve the controversy in the church first of all. So to resolve the controversy in the church, he calls Micah. And he tells Micah now what to do, what to say. And so Micah says to his people uh, what we have already read, arise and contend before whom? Before the mountains and the hills. So there's going to be a contention now about this controversy that God has with his people. But the people don't know that God has a controversy with them. How do you prove that? They don't know it. And they don't want it, they don't want to know it. They don't want to hear it. And even though God says you go contend with them about it, they don't want to. They don't want to contend. If they wanted to contend, if they actually wanted to hear, They'd say, come and let us hear what you have to say. Sit down now and uh, let us, let us uh, um, thresh this thing out. I don't want that. Well, how do you prove it that they, they don't know that God has a controversy with them? Well, uh, from the fact that Joel 2, verse 1, says, blow the trumpet in Zion, shows that they're sleeping uh, for only those who are asleep. Uh, needs to be awakened by the sound of the trumpet. All right, and now how do you prove it right from here? Uh, All right, what does the next verse say? O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. This is the Lord telling them that they can testify against him and, and uh, 
show him wherein he has wearied them. He'd been doing something. He sent something. He'd been talking to them. He'd been crying out to them, but they don't know it. What do they think about it? Where do they think it came from or has come from? Who do they think has been doing it? They think the devil's been doing it. They don't think the Lord's been doing it. If they knew that the Lord was in it, then he wouldn't have to say this to them. He would, he would say something different. He would say, you know, and you're, you're therefore doubly responsible for it, and so on. But he doesn't say that. He says, oh, my people, wherein have I wearied thee? <laughs> they can't tell him because they don't know. They think it's the devil that's wearied them. Well, up in the, in the last part of the second verse, he says, and he will plead with Israel. What's plead mean? Well, I don't know. I have never looked up to see whether the, the uh, word plead in this instance is the same as the word plead over here. I would assume that it is, but assumption doesn't prove it. But I'll read to you what it says in Isaiah 66. And I'm going to read from verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render anger with fury and rebuke the flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh. Now, since this is in the Old Testament and both uh, uh, derive from the Jewish etonyms, I would assume that it's the same word. Now, the margin says for plead, judge. Now, that is one connotation of the word in its etymological setting, judge. So what, what would you think he mean, means here? He'll plead with all flesh. Well, he says in Ezekiel 34, he's going to judge between cattle and cattle. In other words, you've got two kinds of cattle in the church. You've got the ones that are obedient. Let's read what Ezekiel says in the 34th chapter. Then beginning with verse 17. No, verse 16, I guess I'll begin with. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick, and I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will feed them with judgment. What's he going to do? Feed them with judgment. He's going to plead with them, in other words. He'll feed them with judgment. This is the way God pleads with them, you see. This is the way God pleads with us. He feeds us judgment, and he pleads with us thus. And as for you, as for you, O my flock. Now this is the same people he's addressing here, as in Micah, his people, his flock. And as for you, O my flock, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he-goats. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture? What did they do? The pasture is the food, the spiritual food, the truth. Now what have they eaten up? Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture, but ye must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures, and have drunk of the deep waters, but ye must foul the residue with your feet, and as for my flock, and some, are, some are mixed in the, with his flock that aren't supposed to be there. They're doing a work that he doesn't appreciate. 
And as for my flock, they eat that which ye have trodden with your feet. And they drink that which ye have fouled with your feet. So you see the picture. That in his church, in his pasture, he got, he got two kinds of cattle. And they're commingled. They all look alike. Two-legged cattle, these are. And one, one group will eat what God has given them and even eat that which the others tread underfoot. Now, why do they tread it underfoot? Well, it's not to their liking. Not to their liking. That's why they don't know over here that God's been talking to them. They say it's from the devil. You see? It's not the truth. But these over here say it's the truth. And these tread it underfoot, but what do these do? These accept it. See? The next verse. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle. So these over here in Ezekiel 34, the fat cattle and the lean cattle, are the same as those over here in Micah 6, uh, in the two classes that you have. The one that doesn't know what's going on and the other that does know what's going on. The one that is crying out to the mountains and the hills and those that are supposed to be hearing but can't hear because they don't they think it's from the devil. So they take what they want and the rest they tread underfoot. Now you have another picture of this in Isaiah the fourth chapter in the first verse. What do they say? Now this applies to the to the seven women. Uh, that takes in all the churches. And what do they say? They want to be called by his name, yeah. eat their own bread, and wear their own They want to be called by this man's name, but they say, let us eat, lead, let us eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Now, what do they want to do? The man is Jesus Christ. All, all know this. All agree on this, practically. What's the bread represent? The doctrine. The doctrine, the truth. What does the apparel represent? Righteousness. Righteousness. Now they say, they say now, we want to be called by your name, Christ. So they're Christians. But they want to, they don't want to eat his bread. They don't want to wear his apparel. They want to wear their own apparel. They want to do what they want to do. And they want to, they want to eat their own food, their own doctrines, that which they like. All right, the Methodists want to, they want to immerse. And the Methodists don't believe in the second coming of Christ like the Baptists do. Uh, there are a lot of different doctrines. You know, the Christian church has a slightly different view about uh, baptism than the uh, Baptist church. Very much the same, but they've got some other doctrines that are different. The Church of Christ, which split off from the Christian church, or put it uh, vice versa, the Campbellites, they don't believe in, uh, in uh, instrumental music. Uh, you go into a church of Christ and you'll hear uh, wonderful voices. Uh, they can really sing. You'll never hear an instrument. From, from, yeah, from the beginning, they raised them up that way and they can really sing. Well, I don't find anything in the Bible that says that it's wrong to use the vial and this and that and the next thing, instrument, but that's what they believe. And, and that's the way it is in the church today. They want to believe what they want to believe. Now, some, some I heard somebody say today, well, show us wherein we're wrong. Was it, I guess it was Andy who was confronting Sister 
uh, Ray. Ray can't show you. You just don't agree with us. But on what? Well, the things that you don't agree with them on are these things, you see, that they want to hold. Now, they want, they want to believe that, <clears throat> that uh, God's going to jump them from the earth right up to heaven. See? Just the moment that uh, the harvest is over, it's going to jump them right up. They don't stop to think that a harvest is a period of time, and a harvest is a separation, and so on. That's one thing. And they want to believe that that little child is leading the, the, the um, lion, that that's on the new earth a thousand years later, you see. It's contrary to logic. It's contrary to the Bible. Now, these are the things they want to believe. But if you try to get them to believe in the kingdom, they tread that underfoot. But there are some, the lean cattle, not the fat ones, the lean cattle, that are eating that food and drinking the the uh, uh, drink that the others will take. <clears throat> now back to Micah. Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee? Sending the message they don't know about. And wherein have I wearied thee? For, for, for 50 years he's been trying to get it to them. And they're wearied with it, but they don't think it's from God. They think it's from the enemy. And just as she told, uh, the sister told him today, she's going away from the church until we go away. And if we go away, then they come back. But if we stay, well, they're going to stay away. Well, Andy said, well, we'll be going to some other churches. She said, well, we may meet you there. <laughs> Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. They can't testify against God because they don't believe God is the one that has sent them the message. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants and I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now this is what he did for ancient Israel. But this is, this is not only for ancient Israel. This is a projection uh, for God's people today. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Now, this is how you're going to find the righteousness of the Lord, is to study this. We'll go back there in a moment. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Now the Lord introduces us to what constitutes a great revival and reformation. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now this brings about a great reformation, to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Well, who in the Bible that you think of quickly was an example of showing mercy? What character? Christ. Well, no, I don't mean uh, Christ. I mean some, some character other than Christ. Job. Who? Job. Job? Yes, Job showed mercy, but I think there was one uh, other. David. Yes. David, David was... Uh, 
I think uh, more more given to exhibiting mercy than any other character over a period of his 30 years reign in Israel. Now the next verse. The Lord's voice, the same voice that he introduced in the first verse, you see, when he told him to rise now. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city. Well, this is to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the symbol of the church. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city. And the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Now, when, when the brethren study these verses, they seldom, if ever, read the first four verses, or the fifth verse, and they will read the sixth and the seventh, and the eighth. These three verses you'll hear read often from the pulpit, especially the eighth. But the ninth you'll never, never, never hear. Never hear. Now it's all of a piece. How can you separate them? See? This is all a prophecy. And the Lord goes back to the experience of Moses, as he says here. And when he led them out of Egypt with Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, telling them to remember these things, not to forget them. So uh, This is how God showed his righteousness. And remember about Balak, the king of Moab, and he consulted with Balaam, the son of Beor, who was a soothsayer. And the Bible says he was a soothsayer. He was not a true prophet. Uh, the son of Beor, and answered him from Shittim to Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. All right, let's go over here to Numbers. Numbers, the 24th chapter. I'll begin with the second verse. And Balaam lifted up his eyes. And he saw Israel abiding in his tents, according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Well, now, God's speaking here. Speaking through uh, this uh, false prophet that assumed to represent himself as a true prophet, but was trying to curse Israel for gain. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel! As the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the river's side, as the trees of a lion aloes, which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. Keep in mind now, the Lord planted the aloe trees for a purpose. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him uh, forth out of Egypt, he hath, as it were, the strength of an unicorn. He shall eat up their bones. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that curseth thee. Then Balak got angry, and then Balaam come back, came back again, and the 14th verse, And now behold, 
I go unto my people. Come, therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall, uh, shall do to thy people in the latter days. Now, this was a prophecy. Uh, it was using uh, Israel, Jacob, uh, of old, and, and the characters that existed at that time. But it was all a prophecy of what was to happen in the latter days. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance and having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheph. Now this brings us down a long ways beyond his time. And Edom shall be a possession. This is Esau's possession. And Edom, Esau's name was changed to Edom. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. And he looked on the Kenites and took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock. Nevertheless, the Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry, carry thee away captive. Asher was one of the tribes. And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God doeth this? And ships shall come from the coast of Shittim and shall afflict Asher and shall afflict Eber. And he also shall perish forever. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place and Balak also went his way. That was the end. It wasn't very long, but what uh, Balaam was slain. Now this is the uh, picture that God bids through, Isaiah, through Micah, his people, to consider his righteousness that he showed unto Israel. So we see now that the righteousness of God is manifest in an individual through faith. And those who believe and who do as God bids, this is what God does for them. He performs these marvelous feats. And those who don't, then they have their own righteousness and that is all they'll know. Now this is Second Samuel uh, verse, uh, beginning with verse 10, the seventh chapter. Second Samuel 7.10 I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. Now this is 
Perhaps I should have started before this, way back in the third verse, that Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. David wanted to build the Lord's house, you remember? Verse 5, Go tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in? And so on. Now I read these other verses and I come to verse uh, 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee. Now I want you to think upon this. Here is an unqualified, unconditional, unreserved promise to David that God would, would uh, set up his seed after him which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. There's no conditions here. He shall build a house for my name. And now not David, but his seed. Who was it that built the house? Solomon. Solomon. Why wouldn't God let David build the house? Bloody. Huh? He was a bloody man. He was a bloody man. Okay. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What did he let David do, though? Design the blueprint. Yes, and what else? That's it. That's one. What else? Not only the blueprint, but to gather all the material. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, how much? Or how long? Forever. He's going to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, now I want you to notice this now. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men. Who did he use? What does the 10th chapter of Isaiah tell you? Who did he use? He said he used the Assyrian. The Assyrian was his rod. He used the Assyrian and he used others. I, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Now, this is as plain as God can make a, uh, anything, that he would not take away his mercy from Jacob or from David, that his, his uh, word would continue on, the throne would continue on, his kingdom would continue on. didn't say there wouldn't be a lapse, but he said it would continue on. He would never take it from him. And yet the church wants to take it from him. Now this is what the battle is all about. They want to take the kingdom away from, from David. God says that they cannot take the kingdom away from David. They have never believed this. You see, they've had an idea that there, there was not to be a kingdom here on earth. The um, millennialists, with their doctrine that there's to be a kingdom for a thousand years on the earth, are more or less responsible for it in one way. But the, uh, the denomination should never allow themselves to be uh, led into that belief that because there's to be no kingdom during the millennium, therefore there was to be no kingdom before the millennium. See, this is what they concluded. Well, they concluded too much. And so all the prophecies about the kingdom that speak about the wicked and the righteous being together on this earth, they have to eliminate. They, they can't put them during the millennium because they don't believe that there's going to be anything during the millennium and they can't put them on the New earth, because there can't be any wickedness and unrighteous there, so where must they put them? Well, they won't put them before the millennium, so what must they do with them? The promises. 
prophetic promises. What must they do with them? Must eliminate them. Must take the kingdom away from David. And this is what they're doing. Now, uh, I got an article from Brother Billy uh, from Barbados that I don't know who uh, wrote it. It's not too well written, but it's got a lot of information in it that I'm not found in any other articles about Brother Hadith and so on and so on. They say that that uh, he teaches this doctrine about a kingdom in Palestine. And that early writings says that there cannot be any kingdom in Palestine. That's about the way he puts it. There's no proof at all. He'll take that statement in early writing. There's one more beside and some uh, poor reasoning along with it. Well, this is what the church teaches. Where did they get it from? They just got it out of thin air, that's all. It didn't come from the spirit of prophecy. Now he shall, where was I? Verse 16. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it away, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, Thy throne shall be established forever. You can't fault the, the English too much when they think that the throne of David has been perpetuated in the Anglo-Saxon kings. This is what they believe. And uh, those who believe in the British-Israel movement, they've got more going for them than the Adventists have got going for them. Yeah. Even though they think the United States and England constitute the Israel of today. And that one is Nassau and the other is Ephraim. See? And that uh, really the kingdom is going to be set up here in America, as the Mormons believe too. But all these people base their ideas upon these scriptures. Now the Adventists cut these scriptures out from under them, remove the foundation in, in, by this method or by this way. That they say all these promises are made on condition. That's right. All made on condition. Well, what does that mean now? That God is going to repudiate his promises because Israel didn't keep the condition or meet the condition? And this is what they contend. Now, every one of these promises, and there's, there's literally, well, there's dozens of them, maybe there's hundreds of them, or over a hundred of them, that every one of these promises have been invalidated because Israel did not keep the, meet the condition. So therefore, that relieved God of his part of the bargain. But God says that he, he never will, will fail in his part. So what does that mean then? That Israel back here didn't meet the condition. So Israel back here did not inherit the promise. The covenant promises were not fulfilled to Israel of that day. Then we come on down, say, 300 years later, the Israel of this day failed the same way. And right on down past the cross and right on down to this day. Israel has never yet fulfilled the condition. But what does God say about the 144,000? Who are they? They are Israel. They're the only Israel of today that God recognizes. The 12 tribes, they're of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes. So now if you were the devil, what would you try to do with that, uh, with that Israel? Well, the 12,000 out of each of the 12 tribes, perpetuated or eliminated? Well, if you can't eliminate it completely, then you would try to explain it away. You would try to make the 144,000 into just male members of Israel. 
and that there may be millions beside or thousands and thousands or something like that, and this is what they do. Or to try to put it back at the cross or explain it away some other in some other manner. All these things they try to do instead of taking it just as it reads, that they are the servants of God, they're the ones that are sealed with the seal of God, and then the Spirit of Prophecy links it up with Ezekiel 9 and shows that they're the ones who come out of the slaughter of Ezekiel 9. So there's no excuse for the Adventist church not knowing this. There is an excuse for the other churches not knowing it. Now, they don't link uh, Revelation 7 with Ezekiel 9. Not many at least. I've never heard of them. They just don't know that. But when Sister White says that in 445 of Testimonies of Ministers that they are linked together and the, Advent, and the church won't link them together, then What's God going to do with them? See, he's got a controversy with them. He's trying to show them. But what do they say? They say it's from the devil. And there it is, right in the testimonies. And a lot of other things like it. Verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thine kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King, King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while come. What had he done? He didn't speak of the servant's house right then, but for what? A great while to come. Well, what does this mean to you? A great while to come. Did it end right then? Well, he's spoken of it for a great time in the future. And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, when God, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land, before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people, Israel, to be a people unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. Now this is a confirmation of it here. You see how certain it is? And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant, and concerning his house, establish it forever, and do as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of, over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee a house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant, 
Therefore, now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Now, is it God putting words in David's mouth or David putting words in God's mouth? Which is it? God putting words in David's mouth. That's right. It isn't, it isn't David saying to God, now do this and do that and so on. David is simply uh, repeating uh, what God has told him. All right, now, come quickly. Well, I want to go back to this statement up here. Uh, how long did he say it would be? Mm-hmm. O oh, Lord, but thou hast spoken also of thy, verse 19, of thy servant's house for a great while to come. Now, come with me quickly to Psalm. Psalm 101. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion. First, before I read that, I want to read 89. Beginning with verse 28. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. What had he made with David? Covenant. He had made a covenant of mercy with him, and it was to stand fast forever. His seed also, and this is exactly what he promised him, his seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. Now, this is not like the word everlasting. You see, that word everlasting does uh, have a, a limited connotation to it. It means as long as, as this period may contain. But what about the heavens? What's this say? What does this mean? As the days of heaven and his throne as the days of heaven. How long would that be? That'd be eternal. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression. Is this what he told him in the beginning? We just read back there. He said if he, if he sins, if he does evil, what will he do? He said he would punish him with the rod of the nations, right? But he said he would not take away his mercy from him as he did from the house of Saul. There's a difference. Then will I visit their transgressions with the rod. He says the same thing here. And their iniquity was striped. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break. So though they break their covenant, he'll not break his covenant, his part of the covenant. So then what does this mean? If he's going to keep his covenant, then someday, someday he's going to find a generation of Davids that's going to fulfill the covenant uh, conditions so that he can fulfill the covenant promises. You see this? One day it's got to happen. But now, since we're coming down to the end of the way, uh, to almost the very end of this run-out generation, then what must God do? Well, whatever people he's got now in the, in, in behind the uh, curtain that he's working on, he's got, to, he's got to do the job with them quickly to get them shaped up so that he can raise the curtain up on them and show them to the world that this is the generation that is to inherit the promises because they've met the conditions. All right, that's enough for there. Well, maybe I'll read 35 and 36. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. That's pretty solid, pretty certain. Now, Psalms 101, verse 13. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion. Now, David speaking to God. By inspiration, God's going to rise and have mercy on Zion. 
for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. But it wasn't come at all then, and it hasn't come yet at this moment. We're very close to it now. You see, this was a prophecy pointing to the future. For thy servants, who are his servants now? You have to go to the New Testament to find out who these servants are. And who are they, and how many do they number? Where do they come from? 144,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Can you give the reference again, please? 101, beginning verse 13. 102. 102, I'm sorry. Verse 14, now, for thy servants sake, servants take pleasure in her stone and favor the dust thereof. This is Jerusalem now, Zion. So the heathen, look, so the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. Where is this? You see, this has got to be here on this earth now. Uh, when the Lord shall build up Zion. Who's to build up Zion? Now, when Sister White wrote what she did, she wasn't talking about God building up Zion. What was she talking about? The Zionists building up Zion. And she said that would never happen. Well, there's some, some very, some things that, that look as though that uh, Zion being built up by uh, the Jews. Uh, it, it looks very much as though that uh, Sister White was wrong. But you'll see that Sister White wasn't wrong. They haven't built up the part that Sister White was talking about. That still is, is almost no man's land between uh, old Jerusalem and present-day Israel. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth thy glory. And they're going to be here. Now, all these millennialists use this to prove that there's going to be a kingdom during the millennium. But Adventists are right on the millennium. You know why Adventists are right on the millennium? The Spirit of Prophecy tells them oh, uh, there'll be no, nothing during the millennium. And if it weren't for that, you know what Adventists would believe? They'd be right with the churches of God. That's what they'd believe. If they didn't have the Spirit of Prophecy, they'd be right with them because they've got all these promises here. And the churches of God do not see that these promises come before the millennium. They know they can't come after the millennium. So where have they got to place them? They got to place them during the millennium, you see. Can't come before, they don't see that. Can't come afterwards, they know. It's got to be fulfilled sometime, so it's got to be during the millennium. And Adventists will be right there with them, were it not for the spirit of prophecy. He will regard the prayer of the destitute. This is in the time of probation when people are still praying, not on the new earth. And not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come. Wasn't even in existence yet. And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. They had not yet been born. The prophecy looks down the prospect of time to the latter days, as in the other prophecies we read. Time does not suffice to study Jeremiah 33, especially verses 16 to 26, and Ezekiel 34, verses 23 to 31. So please read them for yourselves. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association. You can find us online at www.bashanhill.org and you can call us at 417-835-2162.